Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real conversations that celebrate the people, ideas, and companies that stand out. On this special episode, a powerful look at what is becoming maybe the biggest technology slash business uh, concept out there today, which is digital transformation. Our guest on this episode is none other than billionaire entrepreneur, Tom Siebel. We're sponsored by our good friends at Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business at netsuite.com slash different. That's netsuite.com slash different. Now this conversation with Tom, it's another great example of the power of a dialogue podcast. Tom Siebel is a Silicon Valley entrepreneurial giant. And the only way I think you can really get into what is a guy like Tom thinking is to sit down and have a conversation with him and really get into a set of ideas. And uh, other than doing that yourself, a podcast is the only way where you can really do that. And um, this is a free range conversation with a very smart guy. And his background is a stunner. Siebel Systems was the category king in the first wave of CRM, customer relationship management. And um, as a matter of fact, in 1999, Fortune magazine named Siebel the fastest growing company in the United States of America. And if you think back to what was going on in 1999, that's an even more extraordinary uh, achievement because, of course, 99 was the go-go days of, uh, of the tech industry. In 2006, um, they sold the company to Oracle and merged in a transaction va value just under $6 billion dollars. Today, Tom is the founder and CEO of C3AI, which is a new software platform for digital transformation, focused on areas like big data, the Internet of Things, and of course, as the name would suggest, uh, artificial intelligence. Tom has a brand new book coming out on July 9th, 2019, called Digital Transformation. And I want to tell you, it's a great read. And as I was reading it, you know, Tom sort of lays out all of these giant megatrends and their impact on business and even to some degree, their impact on society. And it really struck me. It, it's a book that I think many people should read. I think CEOs and senior leaders today need to have a detailed technology understanding of what these new technologies are and specific, specifically how they can transform business. And I think the new book does a great job of doing that. We have a far ranging conversation and um, Tom really unpacks the book in a super powerful way. He also has some interesting points of view about how artificial intelligence is, artificial intelligence is actually going to create more jobs than it displaces. And he also shares a very provocative idea um, about uh, U.S. technology companies that refuse to do business with the U.S. government and the U.S. military. On this episode, you're going to gain some super powerful insights into the future of business that you can put to use right away. Check out Lockhead.com for the show notes and um, how to pick up a copy of Tom's new book, Digital Transformation. Now, hey-ho, let's go. It really is a fascinating program. Uh, we have a real uh, commitment, and it's a core element of our corporate culture 
to be focused on your continuous learning and continuing education. And so a couple of years ago, we curated a curriculum on Coursera that is associated with our field, and our field is basically industrial AI. And we encourage our employees to go on to Coursera and take these substantive uh, courses that are offered by Stanford, MIT, University of Illinois, and other places on artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, Kubernetes, cloud computing, machine learning, what have you. And um, we then, when people get their certificates in these courses, we pay them a bonus that varies between, I believe, $1,500 and $2,500. And so today we've paid out over a million dollars in bonuses to these people. I think it's the most, um, we have a wall of fame uh, outside the office. While the people who've taken the courses, some people have taken as many as 10. So we... We recognize these people in our newsletter. We recognize them in their headquarters. We recognize them with uh, cash bonuses. And uh, even the receptionist just taking a class in, uh, in AI and machine learning. So it's great. And so these people are better equipped to do their jobs. They advance their careers professionally. They're better equipped to serve. They're better, they feel more empowered. They're better equipped to serve customers. And so everybody wins. Now, recently we excited, we announced a really exciting partnership with the University of Illinois at Urbana that is one of the top graduate schools in computer science in the United States. And they announced a, an online program uh, with Coursera where uh, students can be admitted to the graduate program at the University of Illinois. Uh, and if admitted, they can take an online course to get their master's degree in computer science or master's degree in data science. And so for our employees that wish to enroll in that, we pay all the tuition, pay 100% of the tuition and fees. And when they complete their degree, we, we award them with a $25,000 cash bonus, a 15% increase in cash compensation, and um, an additional equity grant. So that's been really well received, and um, I think it's a, a really exciting program. Well, Tom, you know, I just so I, when I first read this, I, I sort of had to read it a couple of times. It's like, okay, so the company is going to pay for the course, they're going to give you a bonus when you complete the course, and then they're going to give you a raise and some stock thereafter. I'm reading that right. That's what you just said, right? <laughs> That's what I said. Everybody wins. I mean, the employee wins. They're, you know, they built a resume. They're better. They're, their careers advanced. They're better equipped to do their jobs. Our customers win. The company wins. It's, a, it's really a great employee benefit. But more importantly than that, it's, a, it's really a core component of the corporate culture. And everybody here has a book in their hand. We're in a very rapidly moving field. Uh, AI where, you know, the cell is divided maybe four times. Things are changing very rapidly. And in order to stay on top of this, you need to be continuously learning. Well, I think it's uh, unbelievable as a benefit. I think it's, uh, you may have pizza nights on Thursdays as well, but it's, it's um, I would say probably more important than pizza night. But interestingly enough, Tom, I do have to take my hat off to you, particularly for doing this at this moment in history when in our country there's such a debate about 
you know, the top 1% and, and raising the middle class and creation of jobs and, of course, the high cost of education, right? And what I love about what you're doing is many of the greatest ideas and innovation throughout history come from industry and specifically come from entrepreneurs. And I think it's a pretty extraordinary thing when an entrepreneur like yourself says, you know what, we're going to take this continuous learning idea and we're going to take it to a whole other place. And I think, I hope, at least I hope, you will inspire many more, uh, not just startups, but companies, frankly, of any size to think about similar type programs. Thank you. It's, it's very exciting. It's uh, highly motivating for our people and it's, uh, it, it attracts a lot of people to come to work for us. Yeah. Awesome. Now, if we could maybe move to this, um, your new book, and I, I just want you to sort of see my copy. I've got my notes and post. You marked it up a little bit. You actually read it. Good for you. No, I really did. And it's funny. We just had, um, I don't know if you know, CEO coach Jerry Colonna on, and I loved his new book, Reboot. And this is what I do to books. Uh-huh. Uh, and as a young guy, uh, I'm dyslexic, Tom. And when I was taught that you could use a book as a tool and you could do things like to it, this to it, it, it helped a lot for me with reading and comprehension. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I dug into your book with a lot of enthusiasm. I think, first of all, let me just say off the top, it is incredibly well thought out, incredibly well researched. um, And I think presented, you're presenting a series of very complex technologies and ideas and their implications in business uh, with some, you know, interesting analogies. Uh, This is a tough book to write and make it be clear and coherent and compelling uh, particularly around presenting the big ideas and technologies that are in here. And so I think you did a wonderful job doing that, Tom. Thank you. Now, if I could, at the, I'd like to start, if it's all right with you, and, and we can start anywhere you want if you like, but I, I sort of wanted to start at the end. Let's do that. So at the very end, you say, um, the coming two decades will bring more information technology innovation than the past half century. Why do you think that's true? I think that's unquestionably true. I mean, we look at at the advancement of science and technology in terms of, I think, you know, the advancement of science in the last hundred years is, you know, approximately equivalent to, you know, what's been done in the last thousand years. What we will see in the next 20 years in terms of the acceleration in information and communication technology, I'm certain will double what's happened in the last, in the last, say, 50 or 70 years. So if we go back to the invention of, I think we can think of the information age as, um, you know, beginning with the invention of the transistor in 1948, and we've come a long way, um, you know, to this iPhone that you probably have on your desk that represents, you know, a billion dollars in 1970 computing power. Um, What we will see in the next 20 years, you know, with, implanted devices and wearable devices and, and, you know, massively scale, scalable, you know, computer processing and storage platforms, um, massive advances in, uh, in network communications, um, massive advances in uh, artificial intelligence. I, I am confident that that prediction is true. And if anything, I underestimated what's going to happen. I find that fascinating. And then also you, you spend a lot of time sort of talking about um, evolution and disruption and you end the book by saying, but the great majority of corporations and institutions 
that failed to seize this moment will become footnotes in history. And maybe, Tom, if you could sort of dig in for me why you think this moment in time feels or how it feels in comparison to some of the other big moments in business and technology that you've been a part of, whether it was client server and client server applications and databases and the like, and then of course the internet itself and, and now where you see us today. Can you put it into some context why you sort of end the book there? Well, I think that, you know, if we think about the last 30 years or 35 years, we have advanced from mainframe computing to mini computing to personal computing uh, to cloud computing. Uh, and we've gone from, you know, bespoke programming to uh, relational database technology to uh, enterprise to, you know, uh, enterprise software systems and now to SaaS systems. And, you know, companies that didn't make the transition, say, to uh, enterprise application software, I mean, they couldn't exist today. Imagine, imagine trying to close the books of AT&T or a General Motors without a computerized accounting system. It would be impossible. And so if you didn't make that transition, you cease to exist. Uh, now we have, if we look at the, you know, what's happening in the advance of 21st century uh, information technology, we have a big step function of technology that's come online in the form of elastic cloud computing, uh, big data, the internet of things, and artificial intelligence. At the, at the, you know, I argue that at the, at the confluence of these factors, we have this phenomenon called digital transformation. And, you know, we have, you know, we talked about the, you, you, you raised the issue of the parallels between, you know, evolutionary biology and what we see going on in kind of social systems, which is very much the main thesis of the book. Um, and the fact is that in the corporate world, we're going through a mass extinction of that. Uh, like in the biological world, we've gone through five mass extinction events in the last 400 million years. And in some of these mass extinction events, as many as 96% of the species on Earth have been eliminated. Now, the most recent being this KT extinction that took place, I think, 86 million years ago in the Yucatan, where, you know, we all know about this meteor that hit the Yucatan and all the volcanoes erupted. We had massive climate change and 86% of the species on Earth um, were eliminated, including the dinosaurs that had been a very successful species and had been successfully populated the planet for 150 million years. So now in this vacuum in the ecosystem created by the dinosaurs or others, it was filled by new species with new DNA. And in this case, it was the mammals. So it worked out pretty well for us, at least so far. Now, okay, so we go back to, you know, what's going on if we look from 2000 to 2019, 52% of the Fortune 500 companies have disappeared from the, from the list. Uh, General Electric, um, Kodak, Westinghouse, um, um, you know, how is it, uh, how is it, I mean, Sears Roebuck, they're just kind of gone. And we have 
new, we also see in the newspaper, we see new companies with new DNA that are filling this vacuum. We had 8,000 retail outlets closed in the United States last year, the United States alone last year, and they're all being replaced by Amazon. Well, what think about Amazon? What is it? Amazon's about elastic cloud computing, AI, and IoT focused at retailing. We have this company called Uber that you know, no cars, no drivers, and they're completely disrupting the transportation industry. And you know, what is Uber? It's all about elastic cloud computing, AI, and IoT focused at transportation. Um, so there are many examples of this, Airbnb and others. So uh, we have many leading companies in the world that are getting on board this kind of digital transformation uh, uh, train. Companies like Caterpillar, companies like uh, 3M, uh, the United States Air Force, Department of the Army, Department of Defense, in World Shell, that, that are massively adopting these new step function of technologies to change everything about the way they design products, everything about the way they manufacture, everything about the way they deliver, and they're fiercely, fiercely competitive. And just like companies that didn't make the transition from mini mainframes to mini computers or mini computers to personal computers or personal computers to the internet or companies that didn't make the transition to um, enterprise application software, companies that don't make this transition will cease to exist. I believe they'll cease to exist. And the interesting thing I thought about your book is, you know, each one of those topics that you just touched on is a book and way more in itself, right? You could, you could write a thousand books today on AI or IoT by way of example. I think the interesting thing that you've done is you've broken this stuff down um, at uh, a complex level uh, in, insofar as it's substantive. But the thing that I found interesting was as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, hmm, Tom expects that CEOs understand these discussions at this level of detail, doesn't he? That's why he's writing it at this level of detail. I think that if you look at the level of CEO turnover today, it is uh, greater than it has ever been. And I think CEOs who do not develop a working knowledge of these new technologies will simply not be able to do their jobs. And the, you know, these digital transformations that we're seeing around the world, these are all CEO-led events. And uh, I think this is now becoming, you know, part of the fundamental language of management. And um, I spent, you know, in many ways, I spent as much as, you know, 35 years thinking about this book. And uh, the eight years, seriously, before I sat down and, to write and put pen to paper, but the idea was to take these concepts and uh, explain them in terms that an intelligent person can understand so they can be equipped to find a way to communicate with professionals, that they can learn the language of the field, communicate with professionals in the field, and figure out how to use these technologies to their advantage, to succeed at their jobs, to serve their customers better, to serve their shareholders better, and it's true. I believe that CEOs who do not learn this language uh, will not be able to continue to be effective. Now, if I could go to the beginning of the book, Tom, 
uh, one of the very, the first thing I underscored in the book says, I found one of the most important skills is pattern recognition. And I think the fascinating thing that I took from what it appears you're, you're doing here, and you know, you'll tell me how it is in your mind, but what I feel like you're doing is you're connecting dots around technology, cloud, big data, AI, IoT. And you're, then you're connecting dots around business opportunities and implications uh, given those technologies and what they therefore make possible from a business uh, model, a business strategy, and a business process perspective. And so there's a, a set of business dots you're connecting to the technology dots to try to explain to people, A, what this stuff is and why it matters. Um, but that's how I read it. I'm, I'm curious, what was in your mind as you were laying all this out? Well, I'm very much a student of history. And I think that, you know, um, again, I don't know if history repeats itself or not, but it does seem to rhyme. And it, um, you know, there's a lot of these patterns that we see that, that look very much similar to things that happened before. And this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to draw out these patterns first in geologic time, okay, and then in the context of evolutionary biology, and then in the context of the history of the information technology industry, and try to find patterns that have repeated themselves and suggest that the things that we're seeing today are not dissimilar from what we've seen in the past. And um, as, as a, in an attempt to uh, put this in a context that seems uh, intuitive to the reader. And what are sort of uh, the big ahas you hope people take from the book, Tom? Well, I, I, I think that this is uh, the big aha is as it relates to digital transformation, as it relates to this new step function in information technology, that this is a seismic event. This is the business equivalent of a meteor hitting the Yucatan. And it needs to be recognized as such. And there are those who will respond and take advantage of the opportunity and evolve, okay, and, and evolve to be able to operate in this new economy, okay, in this new social milieu, okay. And there are those who will not, and they'll become irrelevant. So that's the, that's the I don't want to say epiphany, but that's the, um, uh, the recognition that I would like uh, people to realize. And you're pretty blunt about it in multiple places. Um, and so there's no sort of sitting this one out, is there? There's no playing the game as we've known it this far. Well, I think that, uh, you know, to a fault, I am known for candor. And I think this is, I mean, it, it's quite serious, you know, particularly when we get into some of the implications that we talked about in defense, okay, and intelligence and government and cyber war and space war. And so some of these are very serious. Um, I think that some of the issues that we're discussing in related to privacy issues uh, that are consequences of AI are very troubling and they need to be dealt with. Um, you know, when we had, you know, previous technological events that of this, you know, that of this similar magnitude, say the invention of the steam engine or the Jacquard loom, well, this gave us the industrial revolution. 
And, you know, there are many people that argue that the Industrial Revolution was a very positive event in terms of, you know, the production of goods and people living longer and, 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 and living safer and living in, you know, warm houses and having transportation and what have you. At the same time, there were significant deleterious events from the, from the Industrial Revolution. And we can draw a straight line between the invention of the steam engine and, you know, and Marxism, child labor, World War One, World War Two, and so these are, these are you know adverse consequences that you know that we're still living with, um, you know as a result of the Industrial Revolution. So now we talk about this idea of post-industrial society, where we're using the AI uh, in you know many many areas, particularly social media, and you know what's happening in social media is I mean this is really scary stuff. And I, in terms of the way that these these juggernauts are misusing uh, personal information uh, in in very scary ways, and they're controlling populations of billions. They're controlling people's opinions. They're controlling what news is available. They're allowing bad actors to um, uh, you know manip- manipulate. The democratic process, or they provide, and so, you know, we have in you know in social media. I think it's a direct result of social media. We have, you know, we look at the suicide and depression rates of teenagers. Uh, so there's many, many negative consequences that we need to figure out how to deal with. So while this brings, I think, many economic, uh, social and uh, environmental benefits, it also brings many, many pitfalls that we need to be aware of and we need to plan for or else we could live in a very scary place. I couldn't agree more. And I, when I read how you framed the opening of your chapter eight, um, you know, not to sound overly dramatic, Tom, but there was a bit of a shiver that I got when I read the opening quote from Vladimir Putin saying, quote, Artificial intelligence is the future, not only for Russia, but for all humankind. Whoever becomes the leader in this sphere will become the ruler of the world. Vladimir Putin, 2017. And so, uh, you know, you think about the, the uh, you, and if this is not the way you think about it, please tell me how you do, but the, the weaponizing of AI, um, it's a very powerful and uh, provocative idea. This is very scary stuff, you know, particularly when you get into this this uh, field that we call the Internet of Things, where we're putting, you know, these IoT devices, which are basically computers, you know, that are proliferating through every value chain, travel, transportation, the household, you know, energy systems, power systems, the power grid. Okay, and all of these dramatically increase the surface area that's available for cyber attack. Okay, and we have bad actors who are weaponizing these systems every day. The Russians are doing it. The Chinese are doing it. It's very well documented. You read about it in the Wall Street Journal, you know, regularly. The government has documented it. Um, I think we are in a state of war as it relates to AI, and the primary opponent is China. And 
Uh, they are investing you know, tens of billions of dollars today in AI, and they operate, I think, with a different set of moral guardrails than we do. And so when we look at the weaponization of AI, we can use this to shut down power grid infrastructures. I mean, imagine if we were to shut down the power grid of the United States, um, it, you know, nine, your predictions are that nine out of 10 people would die with, in the United States within a year. Due to, I mean, what, what happens when you shut down the power grid? No food, no water, no supply chain, no groceries, no safety, no police, no government systems. I mean, it's think of that. The lack of Netflix might kill a lot of people. <laughs> you know, it's like Mad Max meets Peoria. And I mean, the Russians can do this, the Chinese can do this, the Iranians can do this. And so today, I think it's, it's full-on open warfare between, I don't think Russia really is going to count, but it's going to be between us and China. And I think it's a, it's a fundamental test of, of, you know, kind of philosophical systems, where in China we have a totalitarian controlled state, command and control economy, Okay, where everything is top down through a 12th or 13th five year plan and well organized. And they have incredibly well educated people who are working to advance AI at a very, very rapid rate. And it, we, there's a book that was just written called AI Superpowers by Kai Fu Lee, who's a very bright guy. And he, he argues very convincingly that the Chinese will win the war on AI against the United States. And then in the United States, we have this very messy, uh, very disorganized, you know, free market economy that we offer through a capitalist system where, you know, this work is being done not by command and control for the United States government, but in people's garages in Palo Alto and the Bronx. Okay. And so this is kind of be a fundamental test of two political philosophies and, uh, Let's hope we win because this is, um, you know, to lose this is, is uh, <clears throat> going to be very deleterious. And to the best of my knowledge, you're one of the early uh, business leaders, entrepreneurial leaders, who's kind of framing it this way that um, uh, we have to look at it not just as a technology, not just as a uh, entrepreneurial opportunity, but this is a war that America needs to win. I think we're absolutely at war. And there's a book out that uh, I read last weekend called Shadow War. Okay, that is very much about the how, what's been going on in the last decade with, with China and with Russia, kind of just below the bar of kinetic warfare where China has basically expanded its territory to include the South China Sea. Okay, Russia has expanded its territory to include the Crimea. Uh, Russia has, you know, shut down the power grid in the Ukraine. Russia has um, engaged in a massive cyber attack upon um, uh, Estonia. Uh, we have, you know, the Russians and the Chinese Okay, we're kind of raiding U.S. government systems, whether it's all the personnel systems from the um, uh, uh, Office of Personnel Management, or whether it's all the top secret information from the Department of State, or whether it's all the emails from the Democratic National Committee. So if this is not war, I mean, what is it? And uh, um, so 
it's um, I think that we need to be alert. I think that, you know, I think if we listen to the debates, whether it's the Democrat debates this, this week or the Republican presidential debates when they happen, I mean, nobody is talking about anything important. I mean, there are some various issues, very serious issues going on in the world. And, and candidly, I think all of the discussion that's going on in this debate is about trivial uh, about trivial issues. And so what do you think they should be talking about, Tom? I think they should be thinking very seriously about what's going on geopolitically, you know, with the Russians and with the Chinese. I think, in fact, pure evil does exist in the world. And I, I think that, you know, we have a population where, you know, even in Silicon Valley, where we have people at you know, some of the leading information technology companies that refuse to service the United States government. I mean, are you kidding? Um, yeah, I think these people, they, their, their sense of history is that the, you know, they put the 30 years war, uh, the Peloponnesian Wars and World War II all in the category of ancient history. And World War II is not ancient history. It's something that happened. We're, we're living in the shadow of World War II today. It still might be going on. And we have, you know, in the case of Google, for example, we have all these people living in their mansions in Atherton who basically are monetizing Department of Defense investments. Okay, this is everything from the microprocessor to the internet. Okay, and while they're unwilling to assist the United States government in protecting freedom and liberty, Okay, and in human dignity, they're more than willing to consort with the Chinese in, you know, to, you know, figure out how to exploit personal privacy on the Internet. And so it's I think it's. Pretty disturbing. And so how do you think about walking that magical line between, in this case, if you're a technology provider, uh, providing technology that enables our government to do things that are in our best interest. But at the same time, we all have, I think, and you mentioned it a little bit, an increasing fear about privacy. And I think when most of us found out that our government was tracking who we were talking to on our phones, if not the substance of what we're talking about, but who we're talking about and the level at which we're surveilled on the internet, you know, some of these things start to feel a little uh, 1984-ish to some of us. And so, um, how do you think about that magical line between wanting to use technology to keep us safe, but also, um, uh, you know, protecting our privacy and, and our civil liberties? Well, we, you know, we, I think we're doing it in my company, C3.AI. I believe we're doing some very advanced work in the application of AI to commercial industrial defense and intelligence systems. And we are not going to deprive the United States government of the use of these technologies. At the same time, we are not going to provide any of these technologies to China. We refuse to do business in China, which is a big bunch of the, big chunk of the planet and not do business. Um, I think one needs to be, you know, careful. And, um, you know, were we to be involved in a defense system, for example, where there were no human in the loop, okay, where the computer were making decisions, uh, and let's say decisions to pull the trigger, we would not be involved in that. And so we, I think there are, you know, there are very important ethical considerations that business leaders need to apply every day, okay, as it relates to 
you know, privacy um, as it relates to, um, you know, protecting personal information and, and, and not allowing AI to be used for, you know, um, ethically questionable activities. Uh, and so we think about that every day and we do the, our best uh, to operate within uh, um, some, you know, some rigid constraints. Now, the Chinese, I think, are not constrained by any of these, okay? And they will absolutely, didn't, absolutely deploy AI that has the capability of pulling the trigger and the computers will make the decisions. And um, I think it's very troubling. The other area I think you have an interesting, or I would even say provocative point of view is we hear a lot of people talking about their concern about, you know, the machines are going to take over, they're going to take over our jobs and autonomous vehicles and smart this and smart that, and people are not going to have any jobs. And then you sort of have this very Luddite-like um, kind of reaction. And, and you make the claim in your new book that these new technologies, while there will be, you know, meaningful job displacement, I think you quoted the economist at, in the 40% range of jobs that could be under threat. But at the same time, you say m multiple times and you kind of lay out multiple arguments for why these new technologies are actually going to create more jobs than they're going to displace. Well, I think the future is very bright. That being said, just like every other technology revolution or every innovation from the steam engine to the automobile, to the production line, to the telephone, um, it were, I mean, we jobs will be replaced and people will need to be retrained. And you know, I'm not certain that in the future there's a big market for taxi drivers or truck drivers. Um, and there's going to be a much bigger market for knowledge workers. I think that all of these industries that we'll be creating, whether it's precision medicine or whether it is in, you know, um, AI-assisted logistics or stochastic optimization of the supply chain uh, or, or retailing, I think will be, you know, creating more jobs that will be eliminating. That, that being said, uh, people who are, you know, unwilling to change are just like, just like with the automobile and just like with the steam engine okay, and just like with the invention of gunpowder. Um, the people who are unwilling to change are, you know, it's not going to go well for them. Now, Tom, I want to be super respectful of your time. I know you're busy building the future and creating a great new company. <laughs> um, are there, is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we wrap up? No, I very much enjoyed the discussion and I appreciate uh, the, the great courtesy that you showed by actually reading my book before we had the conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed writing it. And, uh, and I really um, thank you for the opportunity to enjoy, to engage in this, uh, in, in this lively discussion. Well, thanks, Tom. I appreciate your book. I think it's an eye opener. I have no doubt it will do very well. And I very much appreciate uh, getting to spend this time with you. Thank you, Christopher. Have a great day. You too. There he is, the legendary Tom Siebel. I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation. Now, Ed McMahon, the CEO of Epic Engineered Technologies, says, quote, we run our entire business through NetSuite, from design to manufacturing to managing vendors in Asia. Epic chose NetSuite over SAP and Microsoft as the system that they needed 
because they felt that NetSuite could be customized to meet their very unique workflows and key business processes from production around building custom built electronic products, also helping them manage their supply chain end to end. And frankly, their entire product business from design to manufacturing to their supply chain, et cetera, including bills of material and MRP for great control over their business and their production. That's what has made NetSuite the number one company for growing companies. More than ever today, you need a platform that can be tailored to the way you do business. And of course, we need that in the cloud. NetSuite is number one in cloud ERP for a reason. They are the foundation that you can build on. And NetSuite is surprisingly cost-effective. And as a regular listener to this uh, podcast, or you could say oddcast, NetSuite is um, offering you a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry to help you identify opportunities for your growth. Check out netsuite.com slash different. That's netsuite.com slash different. All right. We would like to thank Tom Siebel and his brand new book, Digital Transformation, available now. Check it out wherever you get legendary books. Our good friends at OneLifeFullyLive.org, helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. And uh, this is a nonprofit that I've been involved with from the very beginning. And we're having our annual conference in October 2019 in beautiful Long Beach, California. And there'll be a bunch of legendary speakers there. And there'll be me. (laughs) We'd love it if you join us. Um, And you can bring the whole family. Check out the number one life fullylive.org slash C Lockhead for more. Now, do you want back the most important thing that we all have, which is time? Bottleneck Virtual Assistants will give you back time and help you scale yourself by harnessing the power of a virtual assistant. Check out bottleneck.online today. Now, GrowWire is an awesome new place on the internet that uh, legendary entrepreneurs are reading to help them with their growth. GrowWire has powerful stories of innovation, case studies, a YouTube channel, uh, a podcast, and much more. Check out GrowWire.com. Now, we have uh, apparently we have an ex- expanding uh, group of listeners in beautiful Ireland. And if you want to do legendary marketing in Ireland, I want to tell you about my friends at Fusion. Spelled F-U-Z or Z, depending on your beliefs. I-O-N. That's F-U-Z-I-O-N dot I-E. That's where you go for legendary marketing, PR, and graphic design in beautiful Ireland. And are you a younger person? Are you looking to turbocharge your career? Uh, Well, I want to turn you on to uh, this brand new book called Crash Your Career. And I was lucky enough to write the foreword to this book. And um, you can get uh, some free information on how to crash your career at crash.co slash different. That's crash.co slash different. And I also want to tell you about a wonderful charity called Donors Choose. This organization allows you to crowdsource, to be part of crowdsourcing resources for our teachers to help them do an amazing job with kids. And they especially do amazing things. They do it all around the country, but particularly in communities um, that really need an extra help. Check out my friends at donorschoose.org. And we have an upcoming episode of this podcast uh, with two executives from that organization that I know you're going to love. All right. I need to tell you that uh, today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. Speaking of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, we have a brand new oddcast coming up for you. 
on marketing. Stay tuned. More information coming soon. <laughs> All rights do remain perturbed. Um, you can uh, remember to support your digital transformations. Buy John's Crazy Socks at johnscrazysocks.com. Tell two people you love about two podcasts you love. Remember to listen to their moans. Only buy pasture-raised, free-range eggs. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Marcus Rust, CEO of Roseacre Farms. Sorry, Marky, we just ran out of time for you. That's it. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. Uh, till we're together again, stay legendary. And of course, follow your different.